Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, and the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the, and, Nahor's, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, is Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son's, son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, and Lot, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem and the oak of Morah, and that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, whom had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west of Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going the Negeb. Hobbits, as a general rule, are, don't like adventure. When Gandalf showed up to Bilbo's round door in Tolkien's The Hobbit, um, the, Bilbo quickly es, expressed his distaste for adventure. Gandalf said, I am looking for someone to share in an adventure that I am arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone. Bilbo replied, I should think so. In these parts, we are, qui- we are plain quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. Maybe hobbits don't like adventures because they enjoy comforts. The opening lines of the book start out like this. These are the very first words in Tolkien's The Hobbit. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with, the end, with ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. It's the loss of comfort that causes Bilbo to drive Gandalf away when Gandalf tells him he's looking for someone to, to go on an adventure. Sorry, I don't want any adventures, thank you. Not today. Good morning, but please come again for tea anytime you'd like. Why not tomorrow? Goodbye. Of course, Bilbo, if you know the story, Bilbo does go on the adventure, and a pretty big one at that. But at the end, he returns to Bag End, 
to his home. Adventure bothered Bilbo, but it doesn't seem to bother Abraham. Our passage this morning, uh, as you heard me read it, uh, we referred to Abram. God changes Abram's name later to Abraham, but but for our sake this morning, we'll call him Abraham. Abraham is an adventurer, and maybe the first adventurer that we see in uh, recorded history. Abraham uh, is an adventurer. The word adventurer has an interesting history, and if you look it up in the dictionary, you'll see something like a definition like this. An unusual and exciting, typically hazardous experience or activity, which again could describe, describe Bilbo's adventure. But it shouldn't surprise us that adventure and advent are derived from the same, the same word. Advent, as we know it, or as we call it, the only time we ever use the word in our language, is to describe the time, the few days leading up to Christmas. Four Sundays leading up to Christmas, where we anticipate the arrival of Christ. And the word has evolved from the original Latin, It's changed from a word that meant simply to arrive or to come to a word that indicates excitement and risk. A word that means uh, uh, that you might be traveling and there might be things that would come upon you you that are unknown to you when you left. Sort of like your drive to congregational worship this morning. The middle of in the the middle English form of the word was often used to indicate the risk or to risk the loss of. So to go on an adventure, the way we define it involves risk. In general, we as people are really not all that into risk. We might like the idea of adventure or like to read about them, but much like Bilbo, we're not really into risk. We engage in, all the time we use these words, risk management. We assess our risk continually. And we take what we like to call calculated risks, which seems to me to be an oxymoron, calculated risk. There's something inside of us, very deep for most of us, though that is looking or really is pulled towards something adventurous. Bilbo had it in him him, and he attributes that to his ancestry. Maybe you come from a line of people who went on adventures. Bilbo attributes it to the Took side of his family. Tolkien writes, Then something Tookish woke up inside him, and he wished to go and see the great mountains, and to hear the pine trees and the waterfalls, and explore the caves, and wear the sword instead of a walking stick. And we say words like calculated risk, because we too want to feel like an adventurer. But at the end of the day, our houses are warm, and our bellies are full, and, our, and, and, uh, and, and we feel invincible. We think, oftentimes, that younger people who haven't really figured things out, they're the ones who can take the risks. We're comfortable with where we're at. Two things I want to point out together, or for our time together this morning in this text. Uh, not a typical Christmas text, again, like we looked at a not a typical Christmas text last night, but not a cr- typical Christmas text in the sense that, that this text just gives us a little bit of background information on Abraham. 
But the two things that I want us to consider together this Christmas morning, and we'll take a moment for application as well, is first simply the adventure of Abraham, just what happens, what transpires here, and then the advent of Christ and the parallels that exist there within. So first, the adventure of Abraham. And if you grew up in church or if you've been around church, you you know who Abraham is. You probably sang Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, many sons had Father Abraham. The, whoever wrote that song, just the, the, they just reversed the lyrics and I don't know. Maybe they could have come up with a better second line. But Father Abraham did in fact have many sons, but that's not where we find him when we meet Abraham. This is exactly where we meet Abraham. We meet his father and then we meet him and his brothers. You might know a bit about Abraham. God took Abraham and he chose Abraham and he promised him that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And that's kind of what we attribute to Abraham. But something that we don't think about often is the reality that Abraham was a pagan, living in a pagan land. In old age, God gave Abraham and his barren wife, Sarah, a son, Isaac, who kicked off this whole as, number, as many as the stars in the sky thing. And that was a miraculous thing. And Matthew's genealogy of Jesus starts with Abraham. But again, the first thing that we should note from our text this morning is that Abraham is, in fact, a pagan. He is not someone who comes from a family that knows who the one true and living God is. And that may come as a surprise. Abraham had two brothers. We're told Haran and Nahor are his two brothers. Haran has a son, Lot, and we all remember Lot and his wife, who was turned to a pillar of salt. Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, one of Abram's brothers. And in verse 28, it says that this was the land of Abram's kindred. If we listen to Joshua, who recounts Abraham and the history of Israel in Joshua 24, 2, he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abram, Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Terah and his sons served other gods. This is the definition, the biblical definition of pagan. Abraham was a pagan. After Haran's death, Terah and his family moved to a city called Haran. And this is a little confusing because Abraham's brother is named as Haran, and he also moves to a place called Haran. That seems a little confusing. Maybe Terah, Abraham's father, named named Haran the place that they settled after his deceased son, but we don't know. Now Terah, Abraham, Sarah, and Lot are in Haran, and Terah died there in Haran after 205 years. The New Testament tells us, gives us more insight into this, and tells us that God had appeared to Abraham before the family left Ur. Stephen, at the beginning of his sermon that he gives in Acts chapter 7, right before he's martyred in the book of Acts, said this, The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. 
Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. After his father died, God removed him from, uh, from there into this land in which you are now living. So God appeared to Abraham, told him, told him in Ur, when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans, God appeared to Abraham and then told him to go to Canaan. Terah, Sarah, and Lot go with him. They believe him, and so they go with him. And they proceed to follow him some 700 miles, 4,000 years ago, from Ur to Haran. And when they arrive in Haran, Terah dies, and the remaining distance to Canaan, which is, you guessed it, now Israel, or the promised land, which we find more out about as we get into the book of Exodus. This, friends, is the adventure of Abraham. Leaving his father's house, a land of his family, going to a place that he had never, ever seen before, bringing up family members at great risk to all of them. Maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting family and you've traveled or you plan to visit family after the snow goes away, which maybe it never will. I don't know. It's just like we're in Narnia right now or something. Always winter, never Christmas. But it is Christmas, so praise the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you traveled a couple hundred miles or you plan to travel a couple hundred miles sometime this week. Now consider whatever it takes for you to get from here to Bismarck or here to the Twin Cities or from here to wherever. Now consider the fact that Abram, Abraham took Terah, his dad, which was pushing 200, um, and his wife, Abraham himself is in his 70s, his wife and his, and his nephew with him, 1,500 miles, 4,000 years ago, on foot. That's what kind of risk Abram was up against. So God called Abraham to this adventure, and through it, Abraham gained what he couldn't have gained by staying home. And that leads us then to the advent of Christ. The advent of Christ. And just like Abraham, just like Abraham, there we see a parallel here. Jesus left his father's house. Abraham left what was familiar to him, his kindred, his home. He travels hundreds of miles in an ancient world because a God that he did not know appeared to him and told him to do so. Jesus left his eternal home and traveled from heaven to earth. Jesus himself in John 8.23 says, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And on that first Christmas, a, a baby had come into the world to initiate something that could not have happened if he had stayed. If he had stayed home, the thing that Christ was about to accomplish could not have been accomplished if he stayed home. Jesus came to redeem a people for his own possession. He came to die in the place of sinners like you and I. And the advent of Christ represents an immense adventure and something to be gained that could not be gained without great faith that leads to obedience. But note, Abraham was not saved through this obedience to hear the call of God. That would be a mistake for us to think that. 
Just because Abraham picked up his 200-year-old dad and his wife and his nephew and moved 1,500 miles across the ancient world, desert, and barren landscape, just because he did that, that was not the source of his righteousness. But through his faith that God would fulfill his promises to him, this is what is counted to him. As righteousness. We learn in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament in chapter 11 verse 8 it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was, receive, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And Romans 4.3 the Apostle Paul writes, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The belief that the God who appeared to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldeans, in a pagan place, to a pagan, the belief that this God told him to go do this thing is the source of his righteousness. Abraham believed God when God said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of this was promised to Abraham, and it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So when Abraham believes the words that God speaks to him in verses 1 and 2 and 3 in chapter 12, the belief that Abraham has, the faith that he has, is faith in Jesus Christ the one who will fulfill this in his coming. All who are joined to Christ by faith belong to the great nation that Abraham is the father of. And so, brothers and sisters, today we celebrate on Christmas an event that is unparalleled and extraordinary. And we see a shadow of it in Abraham's leaving his home, leaving the place that he is familiar with, and moving his family an immense distance. That's a shadow of what we see in the person of Jesus Christ when He came from heaven. The full realization of all of this, Emmanuel, it means God with us. Christmas is about Emmanuel. It's about one thing. It's about God coming down, the Word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. The transcendent becoming imminent. The far off drawing near Jesus Christ, God Himself, coming into the world. So as you celebrate the rest of today, I want you to consider one thing from this text. We see Abraham leaving everything. When God says, leave everything and go to this place that I promise you, he leaves everything in the belief that he has, the faith that he has, that God will fulfill his words, are counted to him as righteousness and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But for you today, this afternoon, as you open gifts, as you spend time with family, as you do whatever it is you have planned for the rest of the day, consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. He says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Friends, this isn't a call to an adventure like, like Abraham. To assume risk that you could not calculate. To look at the life of Abraham who left the comforts of his home. To look at the life of Christ who left infinitely more comfort than Abraham left. There is more to be gained, Jesus says, by losing your life, losing all that you've accumulated, even your very life, than by saving it. There is more to be had by leaving than by staying. There is more to be secured by dropping your security blankets. There is more for you than you can hold by opening your hand. This is what we see faintly in Abraham and what we see brilliantly in Christ. So, like Abraham, leave your comfortable unbelief. Leave your comfortable unbelief behind and follow God in faithful obedience to where He calls you to go. Does that mean leaving Jamestown? Probably not. But what comforts are you clinging so closely to that they have become your gods? Hear the call of Christ this morning. Forsake your gods that cannot save and come to Christ. Trust in Christ. God has given you in the person of Jesus Christ come into the world. God has given you infinitely more than you will ever give up in this life or ever could in eternity. The advent of Christ and Christmas teaches us, teaches all of us that losing everything means gaining everything, means gaining eternity, means gaining more than you could possibly imagine. So don't mourn when you lose, don't mourn what you've lost. Rejoice over what you've gained in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have gained more than you will ever know in all of eternity understanding. As you stand in the next life in front of Jesus Christ, you will never in all of eternity be able to understand fully and grasp fully all that you've gained in Him. Friends, the call is to an adventure that yields all things. Leave your comfortable unbelief and follow God in faithful obedience. Let's pray. God, we thank You this morning for Your Word. God, would You stir in us through Your Holy Spirit an understanding of Jesus' words. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. God, there are many men and women and boys and girls in this place this morning who may be clinging to things that they think will save their life that cannot offer that to them. That will, in fact, go away. That will go away not even in 10 or 15 years, but in the next 10 or 15 minutes. God, so would you cause, through the power of your Holy Spirit, us to see clearly the sin that entangles and clings so closely to us to reject the simple comforts of this life 
and to walk full in understanding that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. God, we praise you that he has come into the world. As we sing now, God, would you cause our hearts to rejoice? As we go from this place, would you cause our hearts to rejoice in him? It's in Jesus' name that we pray.